0: If you, if you use, make this confession, this is my Bible, and I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I have what it says I have. I'm about to be taught the life-changing word of faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing, and hearing again. And after I continually hear, and obey, I will see what the Bible promises. Today is my receiving day. Hallelujah. Most gracious heavenly father, we give you praise with much thanksgiving. We thank you that you are the God who said that anytime we can see here and understand that we should be converted and in conversion we will be healed. So do we declare today that our eyes are open to seeing And our ears are open to hear and our hearts are open to understand and that we are being converted even now as we stand in this place. And this conversion is bringing healing for anything in our life that is not like you. We thank you that you sent Jesus so that we could be free. And therefore, we refuse to accept any type of bondage, no matter how common to humanity it may be. We step boldly into the freedom that you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do the work that only you do. Bring correction. Release wisdom. Give insight and revelation knowledge. And then we promise not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word that we have heard so that we can prove in our own lives what is your good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. And if you believe you receive it, say, that's me. me. Hallelujah. Go ahead and take your seat and be seated this morning. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Really excited to be here this morning. Thank God. Man, I love Jesus. Any other Jesus lovers in the place? I love him. I love him because he's faithful. I love him because he's kind. I love him because he's merciful. I love him because he's a lamb and I love him because he's a lion. I'm so thankful that he's willing to come and get anything that stands in between me and him. I'm so thankful that he's not comfortable with my bondage. I'm so thankful that he's not called me to suffer and live in brokenness and wait on the sweet by and by to be free. I am thankful that victory is available right now today while I'm on the ground still around. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So I've been teaching something that didn't really start as a series. At least I didn't think it was, but clearly Holy Spirit had another idea. We always go with his idea. He's a smart one. And so on uh, two weeks ago, I taught a message called, but did you do your part though? And I talked about how important it was to do your part. And I talked about how important it was to understand That the promises of God are not automatic, the ones that are for people. I made the distinction between God saying, hey, I'm never going to destroy the earth again. That's a promise God made by himself, to himself. He doesn't need any human participation in that. He doesn't need us to be righteous. He doesn't need us to be faithful. He says, I'm never going to destroy the earth again by a flood. That's his promise. Rainbow reminds you, reminds him that that's his promise. Then there are other promises that are conditional, which means that you got to do something in order to get something. And I use the example of um, when people get engaged and nobody gets to keep the ring if they say no. The condition of getting the ring is that you say yes. If you don't say yes, the ring goes back with with the party who brought the ring. Likewise, God wants everybody to be saved, say everybody. But he says in order to be saved, here's what you have to do. You have to believe in your heart. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You have to believe that he is the Savior of the world, and that's how you get salvation. He didn't say you get salvation because you do everything right. He didn't say you get salvation because you go to Sunday school. He didn't say you got salvation because you're baptized. He said you get salvation one way. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you don't do that, you can go to church your whole life. You can serve on every committee, wear the t-shirt, bring the tithe, go to everything. But if you don't do that, you are not saved because the condition for the salvation was to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth. And so then I begin to talk about how the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek the kingdom and its righteousness. His righteousness is Jesus. So he says, The way to get righteous in my kingdom is Jesus. The way that you get righteous in my kingdom is Jesus. It's not because you live right, but I do expect you to live right. I don't expect you to live right to earn righteousness. I expect you to live right because you look like me, and I made you righteous. And you, if I'm righteous, you righteous, so I expect you to look like it. And so I talked about how one of the challenges in America is that because you live in a democracy, you believe that you got to vote. And so believers all over the world are debating whether they go do what God said or not. They're debating whether something is outdated or indated. They're debating whether it's necessary to go to church when he clearly says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He's, he's, you're debating whether you need a pastor, whether you need a prophet, whether you need an apostle when he clearly says, I've given you the five-fold ministry for the perfecting of the church, not the perfecting of the individual, but the perfecting of the church, and so you can't perfect the church when you operating like a long ranger. So there are some things that he has clearly said to us, but because we live in a democracy, we think much of the kingdom is like a buffet. We think the kingdom is a lot like Golden Corral. We will take a little favor. We want a lot of mercy. We'll take a little um, grace. We don't really fool with obedience too much because after all, I'm only human. Now, it's interesting to me because you say you're only human, but the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He didn't say a new human. He says a new being, something that never existed before, which means the humanity that used to be a limitation has been endued by the Holy Spirit. So where you used to be limited, you are not limited. So what you couldn't stop doing before you knew him, you can't stop doing now. Now, that's Bible right there. That's the Bible right there. And I begin to talk about how we say these things because we live in a democracy and we think these things are cute, but these things are actually an affront to God. And my favorite one that's going around right now is the T-shirt that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a lot, which just means you're undisciplined and you don't reverence the king more than your ability to curse. I love Jesus, but I curse. I love Jesus, but I fornicate a little bit. I love Jesus, but I kill a little bit. Because he says, all unrighteousness is sin, and I know we like to build this ladder of sin. Oh, well, Pastor Sean, the, it's sin. Um, cursing isn't technically a sin. I love technicalities. I went to law school for technicalities. Here's what I know. The Bible says, let no profane thing come out of your mouth. No corrupt communication. Your mama didn't let you cuss in front of her because she deemed it as corrupt. Okay, so then I talked about in lesson two, but you're not like everybody else. And I talked about how one of the biggest frustrations in the body of Christ is that you have so many people who want to be different but want to live like everybody else. So many people who want to be extraordinary, but those people want to do what everybody else is doing. And I talked about how most of us have grown up in a family where we wanted to go do something, and when we wanted to go do that thing, our parents said no. And so then we, to make a stronger argument, begin to tell our parents who else was going to do it. In which case, most of our parents said, I don't care nothing about what they doing. What they do in their house don't have nothing to do with what we do in this house. And you're still not going. Right? And so I submitted to you that your parents got that from God who said, I don't care what everybody else in the world do. You belong to me. And so we don't act like everybody else. And I use a scripture that people love. It says that we are a chosen generation. Everybody like to be chosen when it's time to be blessed. Very few people like to be chosen when it's time to obey. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation and then he says be ye holy for I am holy meaning I know you can't be holy by yourself but I broke off me and put me in you so now I know that you have the chemical spiritual makeup in order to actually be holy and that's what I expect A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I made one to make a clear distinction. He didn't say weird, because some of the saints just weird. He said, peculiar, it means it ought to be something different about the way you move. It ought to be something different about your work ethic. Your excellence ought to be different. Your long-suffering ought to be different. Your patience ought to be different. Your ability to stand firm in the face of adversity ought to be different. What it means is this. It means that if I had the opportunity to listen to you and your husband argue, your argument ought to sound different than people who don't say they love Jesus. Because even though he acting crazy, the Holy Ghost in you ought to constrain you from saying all the stuff that you want to say. But you know, I'm just going to put my religion down. You know how we do it. That's how we roll it. And so I said, we're supposed to be different. Tell your neighbor, you're supposed to be different. Say not weird, but different. You're supposed to be superior. You're supposed to be better. You ought to look like your daddy. Everybody, it's, it's amazing to me um, if there's this new thing where, like, everybody wants to say their kids are mini-me's, and it's, it tickles me a lot on social media because people say their kids are mini me I'm like, your kid don't look like you. Your kid look like your, their daddy. Keep on saying they're your mini-me. That's not your mini-me. Um, they look like their daddy, right? But there is something innate in us that needs something we created to look like us. Where did you get that from? You got that from the father that he expects that whatever he created ought to look like him. And I talked about the difference in how one of the challenges is in the body of Christ is that even though leadership is called to perfect people, that it's difficult to perfect people who are fragile. Because one of the things I found in 20-something years of pastoring is that everybody thinks I'm dope when, you tell you, when I'm telling you what's next in line for you. But I'm so suspect. <laughs> I'm so suspect when I tell you that you need to live right. Now, when I tell you that you about to get this new job and you about to move to the front of the line and it's about to be your best season yet and you about to have supernatural debt cancellation, I heard from God. I believe she's a woman of God. But when I say to you, all that cussing you doing is out of bounds, But yeah. well, she just a woman just like me. <laughs> and so I talked about how in the kingdom there is no promotion without submission. And I know in the world, you can get promoted. You can become an overnight sensation because you go viral. But in the kingdom, nobody goes viral. We moved Caleb into Morehouse, and he stays on the fourth floor of graves. And they don't have an elevator. And what they said in order to explain it was because there was no elevator to success. And, 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 and. I just want to tell you, I didn't go up them steps, but one time I said, whatever y'all need from me, get it this one time when I go up, because when I come back down, it's an all-male dorm anyway. I don't need to be in here. <laughs> but I think they're on to something, because in the kingdom, you're always looking for the elevator. In the kingdom, you're always looking for the fastest route. You're looking for financial increase when you're not faithful over your time. Ain't nobody going to talk. It's okay. It's okay. And, and, and so you're, you're looking for a good marriage when you got a funky attitude. I mean, you, you, you want to be loved like Christ loves the church, but you live like the devil. And you want to be respected as the head of the household, but you don't do nothing respectable to be the head of the household. You want the elevator. Everybody wants the penthouse of you. Everybody want to be the head. But very few people want to go through the pruning of the Lord that allows you to be able to handle what it is you prayed for. So today I'm going to talk about lesson three. But are you sowing and working the land? Are you sowing and working the land? Are you sowing and working the the land? One thing that's really interesting to me is that in this, in this thing of parenting, you see a lot of parents who have this struggle. Um, if you struggled growing up, you really don't want your kids to struggle like you struggle. Right? Can anybody agree with that? You don't want your kids to struggle like you struggle. Except that sometimes in trying to help your kids avoid how you struggle, they miss the character that cause you to be able to appreciate what you have. And so, you will give your kids something and then be aggravated with them because they have no appreciation for it because you fail to realize that it's normal to them. You appreciate it because it wasn't normal to you. And so... What we've done is that we typically, in an attempt to help our children avoid pain, we don't let them formulate character so when they get real pain in life. And so a lot of parents are like, this is what I had to do. I had to work this hard. I had to do this. I had to do this. I had to do this. And you got kids who won't even wash dishes. And you say, how did I create this? Because you forgot That in order to make it easy, you had to give them vision for their responsibility to the next generation. So what we say to our kids is, we do what we do for you to make it easier for you to do what you do for your nieces, nephews, and children. We say to our kids, we don't care whether you have any kids of your own. You are responsible for the next generation of stricts. So we make it easy for you because we can't let you think this is all about you. I think that we have that same challenge in the kingdom. Because many people grew up in oppressive things where they told you everything was sin and everything was regulation and everything was restricted. So in this thing to create liberty, what we created was an entitled generation of Christians who believe you don't serve if you don't want to. You don't give if you don't want to. You don't live holy if you don't want to. You don't go if you don't want to. But if God don't do one thing you ask him to do at 8 by 805, now you salty. So my question is just, did you sow the, and work the land? All the promises of God are yes and amen. The kingdom has order. Tell your neighbor, say, you may not like order, but you need it. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day, and she said that she was going to teach the men at her church, and I thought she asked a good question. It's a good question for all the men to consider and all the women to consider. She said, I consider Noah to be one of the greatest leaders of all time. Because Noah had to live like something at home because he got his wife and his kids to get on the ark. He says, so I'm going to ask, she said, I'm going to ask the man tomorrow. Have you been the kind of man that your wife would follow you on the ark? Or are you expecting somebody to follow you like Noah, but you ain't model what Noah model?" Are you expecting to be a virtuous woman, but you don't do none of the stuff she do? So let's keep going. So obedience is how we express our faith. You should write that down if you don't write nothing else down, if you don't take nothing else from this. People go, "Um, um, I'm in faith. Let me see your obedience. I can tell your obedience by your faith. If you don't obey God, you are not in faith. You may be doing some church-like actions, but faith is, requires obedience. It is the bending of the knee that says, not my will, but your will, not my way, but your way. So if I ever want to know if I'm in faith or not, I don't have to ask how many scriptures I'm confessing. All I got to do is say, am I doing what God told me to do? And one of the things that's really interesting to me about us as human beings is that we often offer up people. We often, often offer up people and God, not what they ask for, but what we want to give them. One of the biggest challenges in marriages is that we typically give love the way we receive love. So you like quality time and your spouse like acts of service. So you want to show love by watching a movie. They wanted you to clean their kitchen. They can't even enjoy that movie because them dishes over there. You trying to be booed up, they like, that ain't my love language. You like, but that's what I would like. They like, but it's not what I like. And one of the things that people try to do is that they go, you see this debate all the time. You, here's the argument. Um, bring all your tithes and offerings into the storehouse. Okay, amen. Can my time be tied? Mm-hmm. But if your time was going to be tied, 10% of your time ought to be in the house of the Lord, not at home reading scripture. So if you want to make your time tied, 10% to the house, not volunteering every quarter, Not missing all summer, because it was hot girl summer. But you married with three kids. I don't know how you have a hot girl. You about to feel menopause. That's what you talking about. So what I found is that too many believers want maximum return with minimum seed. And then when somebody says it to you, people think you think someone's being mean to you. But here's the reality: if you say it, "I want to be a D one athlete," I'm a dude. I want to play at Alabama. You gonna live different than people who go into UCA. You may both get a scholarship. But the level of distinction you have to bring to yourself to even be qualified for that. Some of you are trying to get access to stuff that you haven't leveled up to even be able to handle the weight of. You want to go and you want to go and lift it. But you can't effectively manage obedience where you are. We were when we were at Morehouse. They told us this thing. They told us. They specifically told us. They got on the mic. They said, "Parents, all of the parents are going to go out of all of those doors. No parents can go out of this door. This door is for the students only." What'd they say? You'll go out of every other door in the auditorium, but don't go out of what door? That door right there. They still had to try to stop parents from going out of this door. The second instruction they gave us was, do not stand in the street. You can stand all here. It's like this. This is the sidewalk. Do not step in the street. That is reserved for the boys. So we standing there and we're watching more and more parents just standing in the street. And they think it's okay because they want a picture of their son. So they think that because they want a picture of their son, it excuses their rebellion and disrespect and dishonor. So I said, as I was standing there, because I couldn't resist being the preacher that I am. It's interesting to me that disobedient parents are confused by disobedient children. It's fascinating to me that you can't obey your boss. The project's supposed to be in Wednesday at 4, not Thursday at midnight. But because you didn't think it made no sense for the project to be due Wednesday at 4, you circumvent and step in the street and expect a blessing. And I said, that's just the church. I said, but here's the problem with seed. Seed always multiplies. You sow disobedience, you reap rebellion. He says, whatever you sow, you will get it back. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. We love that about the good stuff. He didn't say, if you sow good seed, you'll get it back 30, 60, and 100. He says, whatever you sow, you will get it back 30, 60, and 100. So I've learned in life that when I see rebellion in my kids to check my own heart, First, before I start trying to correct somebody, before I start trying to pull the slack out of somebody else's collar, I ask, where did I sew this at? Where did I sew this at? And I know because you're super spiritual and you think you could just draw a bloodline. I'm just going to draw a bloodline you know what, I did all this stuff I'm not supposed to do. I I haven't worked with integrity. I haven't been married with integrity. I haven't managed my credit with integrity. I haven't managed my health with integrity. I haven't managed my friendships with integrity because I talk about all my friends. I haven't managed anything in my life with integrity and I wonder why it's not my best year yet. Let's move on. Let's go to um, Galatians 6. Because I want to show you that this is Bible. Galatians 6. Tell your neighbor, look at him in the face. Say, this will probably make you uncomfortable. But in the kingdom, everybody submits to somebody. In the kingdom, everybody submits to somebody. I'll give you a great example. I am Sister Young's pastor. But Sister Young has the expertise in marriage that I don't have. The other week I was talking to her, and we were talking about how much stuff they, was, they were packing for Caleb to go. And I said when I got there, I was going to tell them, I told them that they didn't need all that stuff, the stuff that they ended up not getting, I was going to tell them. And She said to me, she said, don't say that. And I said, oh, yes, I am. I'm going to say it. We talked for another 30 seconds. She came back. She said, don't say that. I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to say it. As I walked off the last time, she said, don't say that. Okay. Because everybody submits to somebody and anybody who been married all the years that they were married can give you some insight about what it's not wise to let come out of your mouth even if you think it's cool for you to say that's what i mean everybody submits to somebody. That's why the Bible doesn't just say, I know that patriarchy likes to say that the Bible says husband, wives submit to your husband. But before that, it says we submit one to another. Everybody submits to somebody. And what I have found is that if you only see Jesus as your savior and not your Lord, you never submit to anybody else. because he just there to rescue you when you get in trouble, not instruct you and help you avoid it. Okay. Galatians 6. It says, verse 7, it says what? Why not? What? Did, did he say when you so good? What did he say? Whatsoever. Tell your neighbor, say, whatever seeds you're putting in the ground that's the harvest you're going to get. Whatever seed you put in the ground, that's the harvest you're going to get. I want to get into something else. We're almost done. So I'm saying that too many believers are trying to get the maximum with the minimum, and that's why they're disappointed in the harvest. So you're like, I don't understand where this is coming from. I don't understand why this is happening in my life. And this is what God said to Hosea, to the people in that Hosea prophesied to. He said, consider your ways. He says, if you're ever getting harvest and you like, this doesn't make sense. I don't think this is what I should be getting. He says, consider your ways. He he didn't say, don't bind bind the devil. Don't, don't, Don't say the Lord ain't faithful. He says, you consider your ways and ask yourself, have you come into partnership with the thing you said you didn't want? This this is for free. This isn't even in the notes. The Bible says we have whatsoever we say. The Bible tells us to put a guard over our heart so we can put a guard over our mouth. So when you say any and everything, but you was just keeping it real, what you said is that you don't value God's instruction that tells you to guard your heart and your mouth. And then when you get what you didn't want, case in point, I'm always broke. This is what I never understand. You spent the week telling us how broke you were. Why are you sad now that you broke? You spent the whole week prophesying. I, don't, I never have enough. It never works for me. It's one thing after another. Every time I get ahead, it goes backwards. Every time I try, it don't work for me. Why are you so disappointed then? You should be like, I got it. I got exactly what I said. I call that right there. I release that right there. Then go, but and, and the problem is this because you haven't first taken God's word serious that you just not just a human. And because you don't believe you're more than a human, you don't understand how your words release creative energy that connects something to your life. All right, let's keep going. Keep going. Um, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. I think this is important to understand. Your spirit has appetites and your flesh has appetites. So you think that because you want something, And you crave for it and you long for it, whether that's fame or a new house right now or a new job or to move out of the city or to go ahead and get divorced. You have to make sure that whatever you're craving, who the source of the craving belongs to, because one of those sources is going to lead you to corruption and destruction. Proverbs says it like this. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but it is in destruction, which means as a believer, that's why we let the the Holy Spirit and the Word set the standard. We don't look for people to give us a way out of what God already told us that we shouldn't do. If God already told you not to marry him, I don't care who prophesied that that's your husband. You ought not marry him. I don't care who tells you something is a good move for your career when the Lord told you to stay put. I don't care who told you that's the way they would have done it when the Lord told you don't touch that and there are things in life that sometimes you want to do because I know this is not the sexy part of the gospel but it's the part of the gospel I owe you there are times in your life that you want something and it is good and the Lord says no because all of the promises of God are in him. Yes and amen. So when he says no, it means it wasn't your promise. The other thing i like to add to you is that what I found is that one of the commandments that God says is that thou shalt have no other God before me. Whatever God talks to you about most is the God. Whatever he keeps coming back to you about, that's what he's trying to dismantle because you should have no other gods before him. So if you're a people pleaser, so you can't obey him because you love the people, he keeps dealing with you about your love for the people because that's the God. If you can't tithe because you're afraid of not having money, he keeps talking to you about the tithe because the money is the God. If your anger keeps you from living right, he keeps talking to you about the anger because he's always coming before the God that is in between you and him because you cannot dominate in his kingdom kingdom when you serve another God. I like to say it like this. Your real God is whoever you consult when God asks you for something. Your real God is whoever you consult when the God asks you for something. Women ask me this question all the time. If the Lord tells you to do something and everyone tells you not to do it, what are you going to do? Who made me? My allegiance is first and always to God. Now, will I ask God for wisdom? Will I ask God for instruction? But if we standing at a crossroads and Elwin say go left and the Lord say go right, i am be like, babe, I really want to rock with you. I really want to rock with you. I really want to. You should come here with me and the Lord because I really want to rock with you. But I am going with the Lord because I love him, but he didn't make me. This is an interesting thing because when you grow up with pastors, you learn really churchy things to say to your parents, right? And so often we'll tell one of our kids that they should or shouldn't do something, and they will say to us, well, the Lord told me something different. No, I love that. You're hearing from God? You're hearing from God? Talk to me about, because I've been rocking with God for a long time. I know the language of God. So So God told you to date somebody who ain't saved. Okay, well, I need some scripture. You're going to have to walk me through this because I'll go with it. I'm going to be a light to them. Being a light ain't dating. Being a light is evangelism. Don't get it twisted. For all of you who go, you go save somebody by dating them. What's most likely going to happen is you go fornicate while dating them and they're not going to be saved. I mean, real talk. I know every once in a while you set the standard and they come on over, but we got way more cases where darkness pulls you in the darkness. Okay, see, that was free. All right, let's see. So my question to you is, are you sowing and you work in the lane? Let's go to Genesis 12. We go look at Genesis 12 and Genesis 26, and then we're going to get out of here. You learning something today? What you should be learning is that obedience matters. This is the tough stuff that people don't like to hear people say to them. Um, Thank God for grace and mercy. I'm so thankful for grace and mercy. But there is a scripture in the New Testament, and I always love when we try to discount scriptures based on Old Testament. We go, that was Old Testament. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you know to do right and you don't do right, you get beat with many stripes. Jesus said that. That's in the red. He said it. Now, I know you'd like to discount it because it's Old Testament, but Jesus said when you know to do right, because here's what grace and mercy does, because I really want you to hear this. Grace and mercy deals with eternity. Case in point. You shoot somebody. Grace and mercy says in spite of the fact that you shot somebody, the blood of Jesus can still apply and you can still go to heaven, which is why some of y'all are going to be so shocked when you see who's in heaven. Because you tried to count out people and say that they did but you But you don't get to heaven because you do all the right stuff. You get in heaven because you believe right. Now, but here's what happens. If you shoot somebody and they got enough evidence or not, depending on what color your skin is, and if they got, if you, whether you, what kind of attorney you got or not, Jesus may be in jail with you. Now, when you die, you still gonna go to heaven. But in the earth realm, you're going to be in jail. And because of a very present help, he going to be in jail with you because he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even if you make your bed in jail and hell, he will come with you. If I cheat on my husband, his choice to take me back is his. Grace and mercy does not guarantee that I will escape the consequences of adultery. It guarantees that the blood will still give me access into heaven, not that I'll still be married to him. If I spend my money however I want to and end up with a bad credit score, and there's, there's a prophetic word about getting a house, grace and mercy doesn't mean I ain't got to pay them people. Grace and mercy mean I got a mansion in the by and by. It don't mean I'll have one here. Baby said, you'll be in an apartment here, but the way they do it, credit score, you may have to live with your mama now. Because now they run your credit for apartments. Uh-huh. They like, you ain't paid nobody. You rented from Sweepster, swe- Sweetster, Lindsey, your auntie, you ain't paid. No, no, ma'am, you can't stay here. And grace and mercy will be with you when you have to go stay in your mama. Switching she converted your bedroom to a sewing room and you got to sleep with your stuff on the side. Grace and mercy will be with you, but it does not guarantee you an apartment. And I think that when you don't understand the difference between what's spiritual and what's natural, you translate principles and you think that because you got mercy and grace, favor don't mean you don't have to work. Oh, the favor of God is on my life. I don't have to do this. Be fi- get fired if you want to. Get fired if you want to. Grace and mercy doesn't mean you don't ever have to do something you don't want to do. Grace and mercy means I'll help you do something that you don't want to have to do so you don't always have to do it. This is free. Again, this other free stuff, okay? It's a lot of free stuff going off today. So, in my life, I've had to do a lot of stuff I didn't want to do. I've had to work jobs I didn't want to work with people I didn't want to work with. When I was in college, I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning to work work-study and do breakfast and wash dishes. I hate wash dishes. But I needed that in order to stay in school. I went to school, and then I worked at Walmart in the shoe department. Back in the days where if somebody had on a raggedy shoe, you still had to get down and take it off their feet. So to be in school, I had to do two things that I didn't want to do to be able to stay. But I understood that if I was willing to do them temporarily, they didn't have to be my forever. So it is hard for me to understand why you have a dream to be something. It's your dream. So you work a job and that job doesn't pay you enough to fund your dream. You don't have no kids. What's wrong with your evening? You can work your day job in the day and your night job in the night. I mean, you team no sleep anyway, so you might as well be working on your dream. But I'm trying to understand how people believe that grace and favor means that the Lord told Tamara to give me the money that she work while she work her job and cater because I don't want to work at some place that's uncomfortable for me. Oh, okay, no one's feeling that. All right, let's go ahead. Let's go to Genesis 1, Genesis 12. He says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. I want you to tell your neighbor, say, Neighbor, if you're going to live your best life, you are going to have to move. You are going to have to leave some people behind. You're going to have to leave some attitudes behind. You're going to have to leave some actions behind and you're going to have to work in the land he's sending you. Nobody should know that better than married people. You want to stay married? You better work in the land you've been sent in. Because if you don't work in the land you've been sent in, be, be, be married trying to be single. Be married and trying to be single. <laughs> and you going to be single even if they don't divorce you. You need to understand if you're going to live the life God has for you, you are going to have to move out of what is comfortable. So when you say God gave you a dream, but you know everything that's on TV, it tells me you haven't made an Abraham move yet. You ain't got up from your people. You know your power people because you don't want to miss what they are talking about. From your dear white people, people, because you don't want to miss what they get. I mean, literally, I'm so glad Game of Thrones went off so some of you maybe can get something done in your life. Because literally, you was going to miss your whole dream over a war that ain't even real. I mean, you studying the etymology of the words they made up. You picking sides. You deciding whose sides you go be on. What should happen to who? But that dream God gave you about T-shirts, you ain't printed not now T-shirts, not even a mock-up for yourself. But the Lord told you, you're going to be a Billy. He may have said it, but right now you're going to be negative because you don't know how to participate in the process. Somebody asked me to contribute to their GoFundMe account. I typically like a t- uh, uh, contributing to young entrepreneurs. Except this young entrepreneur had been in happy hour like four times in the past week. <laughs> I was like, nah, dog. <laughs> you, you can't get my 20 because your 20 was on um, Dollar Margarita. So you know what? Um, if, if it ain't important enough for your 20, it ain't important enough for my 20. Let me take it a step further. If you won't read the book about marriage counseling, why should you be counseled? Why should people be doing the work when you not? It's your marriage. It's your money. And it's always fascinating to me because we get really churchy. And we're like, you know, um, Chris, I was praying and I, I, I just, I'm trying to get this book printed, and the Lord told me that you were so into me. The Lord told me that Chris was so into me, but he didn't tell me to stop going to Ruth Chris. Man, if y'all don't quit running that church hustle, ain't nothing but a church hustle. Ain't nothing but a church hustle. I said to Pastor Elwin the other day, I said, listen, judge me, judge me. I'm, I'm so free from judgment, I don't even care. I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm so beyond judgment. One of the most fascinating things to me is that I was like, listen, if I was gonna run a church hustle and I was gonna ask a church for money, this is what I do. I'd be like, all right, it's August 18. I know I'm gonna need rent money. I'm gonna go to church last Sunday and this Sunday and next Sunday. I'm gonna at least cry cause church people move by some tears, act like I really gave my life to the Lord. Some, I'm at least I'm something. But what I'm not going to do is sit in the parking lot and wait till people walk out and then come out and say, can I see the pastor? I need my light pe- bill. Pay. Jesus said, let you be light, not me pay your light bill. <laughs> oh, that's so mean. No, that's why we got a nation of entitled people, people in the church who feel like you want first class children's church, but you won't even make your children mine. Mm-hmm. You want first-class children's church, but your children don't mind you. So the Bible verse can't be taught because little Johnny is over there trying to kick holes in the wall. (laughs) Not here, babe. Not here. (laughs) So he says to Abraham, he says, I am trying to take you somewhere. But I cannot take you unless you are willing to leave what you know. I know what you thought you knew about marriage. I know what you thought you knew about climbing a career ladder. I know what you thought you knew about parenting. I know what you thought you knew about health and fitness. But where I'm trying to take you, I can't take you unless you are willing to go. So my question is, are you willing to go? or Are you going to spend another year prophesying about what's going to happen for nothing to happen? This, another freebie, another freebie. I don't date people who boyfriend and girlfriend. I mean, counsel people who boyfriend and girlfriend. I don't do no counseling for people who boyfriend and girlfriend. Because if you got counseling, worthy issues that boyfriend and girlfriend break up? No, I mean, if you don't live in the same house, you ain't sharing no kids, but you fighting and conflicting, you have no covenant, I'm not counseling. You have no covenant. I'm not giving you four hours for you still to decide. We're not going to be together. I will give you four hours to figure out why you want somebody so bad that you let them treat you bad before they put you in covenant and you still want to be in covenant with them. I will give you four hours for that. But I won't give you four hours to talk about how to salvage a relationship with somebody who's showing you as a boyfriend or a girlfriend that they not that into you. So he says, do you want to go? This next level, this best year yet, what's the thing that God is talking to you about? And the truth of it is is that God may be talking to some of us about many different things. He may be saying to one wife, you are too mean. You're pretty, but you're mean. And you need to work on that. And I know people say the Holy Spirit don't talk like that, but he do. He do. He say stuff just like that. He says just stuff just like that. He said, he say, you pretty, but you mean in your heart, and you need a heart transfusion. The Holy Spirit do stuff like this. You talk about the people on your job, you talk about what's wrong with everybody, and he start coming back to you about what's wrong with you. He go, well, some of the problem is you think you know everything because you graduated with one of them Lotties. And so you think that at your job, you got a lot. And so you think that because you got a lot, that no one else knows the way to get there. The Holy Spirit talks to us about us. Us. I remember I was going to the Lord years ago, talking to him about Elwin. Cause I could just tell the truth about my stuff. I just, I, I asked the Lord to give Edwin leprosy. I was like, you know. I said, Lord, I found me a scripture. I said, he has dealt treacherously with the wife of his youth. That's the Bible scripture right there. And I said, when he stretches his hand out watching that game tonight, let it turn white as snow. I prayed in tongues too because I really wanted it. And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me so sweetly. He said, Sean, don't say anything else to me about Elwin until we can talk about you. I said, what's wrong with me? He said, that's what I'm talking about right there. So in your prayer time, if you can only hear about how blessed you are and how wrong everybody else is, you probably talking to yourself more than the Holy Spirit talking to you cause the bible says he corrects and instructs. He corrects. You literally will say something that don't even seem to be that big of a deal. Everybody'll be laughing and as you walk off the holy spirit will say, "Don't say that no more." Cause he prunes. He prunes. He corrects. I'm trying to get you to understand if you want abundant fruit, you're going to have to go through some abundant pruning where literally there are times in your life where you feel like, dude, do you have anybody else to talk to? Is it not nobody else in this world that listen to you? Because you are wearing me out. Because as I told you last week, God's job is not to make you a better you. It is to make you like Jesus. The goal is to be transformed into Jesus, not to be better than you were. So what you better than you are? You ought to be. I mean, you ought to be. I mean, if you've been walking for 20 years, you ought to walk better than when you started. But transformation is his goal. To conform you into your right image. I really want to get to this scripture because this is important. Genesis 26, he says to Abraham, no, go, before you go, to Gen- go back to Genesis 12 because we need to go through verse 3. He says to Abraham, he says, I need you to get out of this place that you're in because I got a place that I want to show you. And I want you to understand this. Every hard thing that the Lord is asking you to do, it is not just for you. It is for generations. Everything that God asked Abraham to do wasn't just for Isaac and Jacob. It was for us. In fact, it tells us in Galatians that because of Christ, we have access to the promises that God gave Abraham. But... It also says that we have to obey like Abraham obeyed. And what made Abraham, because I said last week everybody's not a friend of God. What made Abraham a friend of God is that he obeyed. You a child of God. Every parent understands this. All your kids ain't your friends. If your kid can be twenty-seven, if they still act like they're twelve, they can't be your friend. You just like we just have nothing in common that's working here. You don't even resemble this DNA. (laughs) He says, and I will make you a great nation. Say, I'm a part of that nation. He says, and I will bless. I will make your name great. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. It's a four-part promise right there. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I love this right here because he says, I'm going to make your name great. It means many times while you're doing the things that it don't seem like would make your name great, that's how God is setting you up to get your name to be made great. Verse 3. He says, and I will bless them that bless them, and curseth him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's the Abraham's blessing that starts because Abraham gets out. Go to Genesis 26. We really are almost done. Genesis 26. We're going to start with verse 1. It says, there was a famine in the land besides the famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac came unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. It's a very interesting thing. If you understand this, you will say, why would he go to this king? If you go back to Genesis 21, here is what you will find. When God said to Abraham to go to a land that he would show him, he sent him into the land of this king. When Abraham was in the land of this king, he made a sacrifice to God. And the sacrifice to God caused the blessing to entered into covenant with his sacrifice. Your obedience is how you activate a covenant with God. Confessing your heart, believing your, your heart, confessing your mouth, that's the obedience that activates the salvation covenant, right? So when Abraham builds an altar, he activates this covenant with God, he says, I take you at your word. Well, what happens is that this king sees how Abraham is prospering and he comes to him and he says, I see that the Lord is with you. I promise you, if you will let the Lord do this work in you, people will begin to come to you. What you have been chasing, you will not have to chase. They will come to you and say, I see that the Lord is with you. Let's make a deal. And he says to he says let's make a deal let's enter into this covenant and the covenant actually had three parts he says number 1 you'll be good to me I'll be good to you you'll be loyal to me I'll be loyal to you you don't forget what I did for you. Teach your kids. I won't forget what you did for me. I'll teach my kids. So when there was a famine, because that's the problem, that's the purpose of generational teaching. It goes back to what I said. It is the reason that when we're raising our kids and we want it to be better for them, we need them to understand why there's something better, that we're building something. It is not just to set your life up in ease, but it's something beyond you. So Abraham had clearly communicated to Isaac that there was a covenant in the land. So in a famine, he went to the place where he should have had covenant. And then keep going. And the Lord appeared to him and said, what? Don't go to Egypt. Egypt represents bondage. Now, it's interesting. The only reason that the Lord ever has to tell you not to do something is because you were thinking about doing it. That's the only reason the Lord ever has to tell you not to do something. It's because you're thinking about doing something. He goes to Gerar, but he's looking at Egypt because the food looks plenteous in Egypt. So God says to him, don't go to Egypt because your covenant not there. There are some things you want to touch, but God says, don't touch that. Your covenant isn't there. The provision is always where the covenant is. I watch over my word to perform it, not your desires. I watch over my word to perform it. That's why you can't bless a marriage that's not. That's why you can't curse a marriage that's blessed. Because he watches over his word to perform it. You can civilly marry anybody you want to all day long. It doesn't make it a covenant recognized in heaven. Covenants recognized by heaven. Ceremonies take two people. Covenant take three. (sighs) He says, don't go into Egypt, but do what? Stay where I told you. Look at your neighbor and say, if you don't do nothing else, Stay where he told you. Stay where he told you. Stay where he told you. Let's keep going. Keep going. He says, stay in this land. Understand, all that's happening, he's now presenting options to Isaac to take the covenant to another generation the same way he did to Abraham. He says to Abraham, hey, go with me and I'll bless you. And I'll bless your children. Now it's Isaac's turn. He says, Isaac, stay right here and I'll bless you. Every generation has to activate the covenant. Whatever your grandmother released on you, it's your obedience that will activate it. He says, and I will bless thee. Look familiar? For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all of these countries. Abraham goes into the land. He sows a seed For the land. He sows a seed for the land. That gets the covenant with the man in the land. But now God is asking Isaac to sow in the land. Some of you are here because the people before you sowed for you to be here. Now it's time for you to sow in here. They sowed for you to go to school. Now they're looking for you to sow in so your kids don't end up with student loan debt. So Abraham sows four, but Isaac sows in. But look at what he says. I think we want to go to verse. Next verse. And I will make thy seed to multiply. I will make thy seed. I know you're thinking people, but I want you to look at the promise what he says. When you stay where I tell you to stay, I will make your seed multiply as the stars in heaven and I will give thy seed all of these countries and all of thy seed of all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Next verse. Because Abraham, he tells him, he says, you have access to this because your father obeyed. Here's the question I want to ask you. What are you setting the next generation up for in your lineage? Is the next generation in your lineage go get to have a conversation with God where God is able to say to them, you're right here because of what your daddy did. You're right here because of what your mother did. And now I need you to set up your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. And I believe that when you see the kingdom is always about generations and when you get a generation mindset, you can't be selfish. Case in point. When you get a generation mindset, if you got a gift to work with kids, you don't mind being in victory zone because you understand the word isn't just for you. The word is also for them, and you're setting up a generation. And after you get all the word that you need, you want to make sure that they got all the word that they need. It says, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Next. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. He stayed put. There are seasons in your life when you want to move and do something and God says no. There are seasons in your life where you don't want to do something and God says do it. Because God is always dealing with generations and eternity. And in the same way that God will allow a woman to endure the pain of childbirth to bring forth a life, God will allow you to endure the pain of adversity to birth a new generation. Yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. There are some times where you got to take some contractions and you got some contractions that you like. It would be so much easier. I just if, if, if I could just move here, if I could just do this, if I could just quit this, if I could just cuss them out, if I could just quit going to church. I think sometimes, man, it would be a lot more fun to go to brunch on Sunday. I mean, the people who be brunching, they look like they having such a great time. I'm like, like, man, this would be, I I would love to do that. It's not what I get to do. Not every Sunday. All right, one more verse. Because people love to, to do this, but here is the verse. Go to verse 12. Verse 12. And Isaac sold where? What land? Some of you aren't harvesting because you're putting your seed in land he didn't tell you to put it in. It's not your season for that. It's not your time for that. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that everything there is a time and there is a season. When my kids were young, And people used to invite me to preach. I didn't go a bunch of places to preach away. Why? My kids was young. It was my goal to raise my kids myself. I thank God for Tamara and Chris and all the stuff that they did, but my kids needed to know who their mama was. My kids are older now. I'm able to move about the country a lot more freely. To everything, there is a time and there is a season. And just because God shows you something in the future doesn't mean it's time and it's season for it now, which is why you got to get some discipline and some trust in God, some ability to obey, some ability to have some stick to itness. Guys, I'm not trying to be funny. But some of you are asking God for big things. And hear me, listen, you know this is not a church that judges people about missing church. When you with your kids, we think you ought to be with your kids. If your kids are in sports, you ought to be with them. They, they need to know that your kids don't need to be mad at you because you ain't never at vacation and all of that stuff. You need to enjoy your family. But every Sunday can't be a turn up if you expect your kids to love Jesus. Every time you need a break, church is what you quit. Every time you tired and you need some rest, church is what you abandon. Church is what you skip. You can't do that and raise up a generation of kids who love the Lord. Kanan asked me this question the other week. She said, Mama, why do so many people miss church? And I said, well, babe, the truth of it is you don't actually know whether you are faithful to church yet. You live with us. You faithful because we faithful. You don't really know if you're faithful yet. You don't find out if you're faithful to church to when you don't want to get up, you overslept, your first two outfits didn't work, and you say, but I'm going anyway. That's when you know that you're faithful to church. You don't know that you're faithful to prayer till you at the Morehouse ceremony and prayer come on and you walk out the ceremony so that you can hear prayer because it's important for you to be a part of prayer. You don't know what's really in you until you have the opportunity to do something that's different. And so I, I, I listen. I want you to hear me. There are some people that are going over this year. There are some people that are going to break through walls. they go going to leap over valleys and mountains. They're going to soar. They're going to end up places that were only a dream. They're going to be the faithful people. The consistent, the disciplined. I do what God tells me to do, even when I don't want to do it. I bend my will. Some of you, you ain't never learned to bend your will. You don't bend your will at work. You don't bend your will in marriage. You don't bend your will in church. You don't bend your will anywhere. You say what you want to say. You do what you want to do. You move how you want to move. And you can do that your whole life and still go to heaven. But you can't bring heaven down to earth living like that. Because just like Abraham had to pass the test. And Isaac had to pass a test. And Jacob had to pass a test. And Jesus had to pass a test. Sean got to pass the test. Everybody is presented with the option where he says, I know what you want to do, but give me what you want to do because I want you to do something else. So I want to pray for the people who like, oh, Psalms 126. Psalms 126. This next level life, Require next level of obedience when I was a child, I acted like a big old kid. Oh, interesting! Circle back to all of the parents who stood in the street the next morning. The leaders at Morehouse said, We have never seen a more non-compliant class than this class. Talking about the kids. They, they, they didn't show up dressed like they were supposed to. I want you to look at your own life. This ain't the time to look at your husband because I know in stuff like this, married people love to talk about what we love to talk about, what our husbands need to do, and all parents love to talk about what our kids need to do. But what you need to do, where is the area where you need to grow up? For some of you, it's not sin like fornication and lying and stuff like that. But if God told you in the evening to work on your business and you're not working on your business, that's sin. Whatever is not done of faith is sin. It is to miss the mark. If God told you to clean up your credit and you're not working on cleaning up your credit, if God told you to drink more water. And I was thinking about this because I used to spend so much time praying. Somebody sent me a message this morning. They was like, can you pray for so-and-so? They in the hospital with kidney stones. Literally, I was like, do they drink water? And they were like, No. And I was like, Lord, I pray they drink water. Lord, I pray that they drink water. Because even if we use faith to supernaturally dissolve the kidney stones, what's going to happen next month when you don't drink water? And so it's like, we can believe God that your car don't get repossessed this time. We can believe God that you get favor and you get to stay on your job this time, that you get another job, that your husband don't leave you this time. We can believe God, but at what point do you go, I want to grow up? I say to my kids all the time, if you don't want me to talk to you about stuff, you know all you got to do for me to stop talking to you. You, do, you. Never in your life have I come into your room when your room was clean and told you to clean your room. I mean, never in your whole life has your room been clean. And I came in and said, you need to clean your room. No, I looked around. I saw it was clean. I said, good job. Move out. If you want to hear some good jobs in your life, do some good job stuff. <speaks in one direction> this is so important. Even as you give your offering, however you give. You know, you might want to give $50. The Lord may say give 40 you think it don't matter. Obedience does matter. It, do, it does matter. You got to learn how to obey God. You'll be like, I already gave my tithe and my offer. He'll be like, give 300 more dollars. Obey God. The church fasts on Tuesday. He said, I want you to fast on Wednesday and Thursday. But they, we fast on Tuesday. Fast Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Obey God. Tell your say, just obey God. Because some of you so frustrated because you're trying to offer sacrifices when he wants obedience. You're trying to get God stuff. He's like, I don't want this. You know, you're showing up and you don't want to do that. So who wants to sow a hundredfold, receive a hundredfold in this lifetime? This year. And how many of you are like, you know, God. There are some things you keep talking to me about. And for the people who partners here, I know it's some things that you keep talking about, that the Lord keep talking to you about because you keep talking to us about them. You ought to keep talking to us about. Just obey God. You ain't got to say, every month you ain't got to say, Pastor, this month we're going to be on prayer. Just be on prayer. Pastor, this month I'm going to be faithful. Just be faithful. Pastor, this month I'm going to start tithing and keep tithing. Just please, just do it. I'm going to stop cussing at my spouse. Just, just stop. I tell my kids sometimes, my kids hate when I say this, but I mean it. I be like, please don't tell me you sorry no more. I'm so tired of hearing you tell me that you sorry. Change. That'll be the best way that I know that you sorry. If I walk in here every day and slap you in the face, every, every Sunday I come in here and I slap you in the face, I lay down on the floor, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. you like, listen, if you're really sorry, don't slap me again. And most of you like, you ain't going to slap me, but one time y'all done got all indignant like I'm trying to fight you. <laughs> but if you're here and you're like, Give me a little music, Clarissa. If you're here, I'm not going to have you come up, but I am starting to have people to do stuff as an act of your faith. You know what, God? I need to grow up. Not only do I need to grow up, I'm committed to grow up. I am purposing in my heart. There is some things. Do you know you can love somebody and not trust them? One of the things I've learned from being married to Edwin is that I love my daddy a lot. I ain't trust that sucker at all. I couldn't trust him to keep his word. He showed up with big promises. If I was with him, I could get what he had. But when when he was gone, the difference is, if I was in college and my dad told me he was going to send me some money, I need a backup plan. If my grandmama told me she was going to send me some money, baby, it was solid. When the Lord look at you, are you my daddy or my grandma? Can he trust that if he asked you to give an extra tip that you would do it without knowing? They service wasn't even that good. He didn't ask you that. He asked you to bless him. Can he trust you? And I was thinking about, as much as I love my daddy, because I was talking about the friend who's talking about falling on the ark, right? If my daddy had said get on the ark, I'd been like, no. I'm gonna take my chance out here and see what it end going be. I ain't getting on no ark with you. But I was thinking about this. My kids don't even second guess getting on an ark with street. But that's how it ought to be with God, because the Bible says everything God does, he does through people. Can he, I know you can trust his faithfulness. Can he trust yours? Will you go when you don't want to go? Will you be quiet when you don't want to be quiet? Will you speak up when you don't want to speak up? Will you give when you really didn't want to give? You know that person who owe you money, the money that you still counting, even though the Lord told you to release it because he told you not to let them get it to begin with, but you still salty because they told you they would going to give it back on Tuesday before they went to vacation? That money right there. And they posted that they was on vacation. But they don't respond to your text message, but he told you not to give it to them to begin with, and now they need $50 and he told you to give it to them. Can, can you do that? Can you do that? No, because if it's his, is it his? I'm talking about that kind of sold out. My whole life belongs to you. There are some people in here, and it may not be everybody. There is no pressure, but you like, you know what? I am saved, but today I'm giving my whole life. My whole life. Hallelujah. You can have it all. Hallelujah. We love to sing songs. Take me to places where my feet. My feet can't touch. How else could it happen unless I give him all? God, you've been talking to me about this attitude. You've been talking to me about money. You've been talking about how I spend. You've been telling me, listen, I can just remember Years before the recession, the Lord helped us so much before that last recession. He began to give us instruction about what we needed to do. And when that recession hit and people were sinking, but there were so many times before that where he would be like, don't go on that vacation, don't spend that money, don't get that car. For years, we had been people, we just got a new car. But when the warranty was over, we want a warranty. And we went through a season where the Lord was like, don't buy a new car, pay them off. Believe me to keep them together. Believe me to keep them together. We ended up putting like 335,000 miles on a car. We, we We went through this recession. All of this stuff happened. People lost their jobs that impacted the church. We needed to be able to give bigger, but we didn't have car notes. So we were able to do it. So we were able to keep things afloat. Because God doesn't tell you what you need to do tomorrow for tomorrow. What he tells you for tomorrow is for next year. What he tells you for tomorrow is for 15 years down the road. So we just want to pray with you when you're just like, you know what, God, man? I don't want to be wrestling with you. I don't want to wrestle with you, God. You've already proven that you're faithful to me. I'm not trying to wrestle with you. You know what else, God, I want to get rid of? I want to get rid of this immature attitude that every time you don't give me something I want, that I act like a brat. that I start wondering if it's really worth it. And I started being envious of the workers of iniquity and talking about what I could do if I went out and did what other people do. That. I'm, I'm, I'm growing up today. I'm going to be faithful to you because you've been faithful to me. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say I wouldn't make a mistake. But God, I'm going to try to live like something. Anybody want You know that the Lord sees you as righteous because of Jesus. But anybody want the Lord to be like to you, girl, I'm proud of you. Son, son, I'm proud of you. Man, normally you would have got him. Normally you wouldn't have forgiven your wife for three weeks. I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you that you stopped bringing up the past. I'm proud of you for being faithful. I want to just decree a blessing over the faithful. Father, all throughout your word, you say that when we obey you, we will eat the good of the land. In every area where we line our obedience up with your heart, we release the good. Father, I pray that you pour out goodness that we didn't even know we needed, that you satisfy our mouth with good things, that you bring such restoration to us. I pray that as people step into new levels of obedience, that they will not even wonder why they ever wrestled. I thank you for the grace to obey. Somebody, I'll just reach up and grab that. I take that. I, take the gra- I activate the grace to obey God. I take the grace To not be moved by what other people do. I'm going to obey you no matter what. Whether my husband, whether my kids, whether my boss, whether my family. I'm going to do what you tell me to do.